Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers' coverage of the House of the Dragon. This is episode 127, The Heirs of the Dragon. I am Scatty, and with me, as always, is my buddy, Matt. Hello, everybody. So, welcome to this coverage of something that we've never really done before. We're covering a TV show! This is nuts. And we're doing video and audio. And you can actually see your faces. This is really scary. Yeah, Scad's got his Vote Dick Crab shirt on. I do, I do. I've got my Dave Matthews Band shirt on. We're going to see Dave Matthews next week at the Gorge. It's going to be awesome. Um, You know, we've always done... Engorged at the Gorge. Have they done... Engorged on the Dave. Yeah. Engorged at the Gorge. Engorged upon edibles at the Gorge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we've always done things like films get fingered, uh, with, where we've talked about the movies that we like and the movies that we dislike, but this is kind of a brand new thing for us covering episode by episode, uh, the house of the dragon series. Yeah. yeah very exciting. It, this is just, it's new content. We haven't had new content in this fandom for a while. Everybody's really excited about it. And Matt and I just decided, what the hell, let's go for it. So are we. So, so here we are. So we're going to keep this uh, this first section real short and quick so we can get into the episode. We're going to try to keep these episodes actually really short compared to what you're used to with Davos Fingers if you're a regular listener. If you're not, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so we are going to be putting out one of these episodes every week for the public, uh, both on YouTube and through Podbean for our podcasting. Uh, weekly release releases the first for Davos Fingers, like we said. They'll come out Friday mornings-ish uh and can serve as both a reminder of what happened uh in the previous episode but also get people a little bit excited for the upcoming episode as we'll have uh, a little bit of teaser for for what's coming uh on our patreon side for those of you that are patrons uh, our building is still frozen we're still figuring out exactly what content we want to offer as bonuses so that's still frozen but uh more info coming that on that in september yeah, so these episodes are going to be pretty simple. We're going to break it up into two parts. So the first part, we're going to run through the episode, roughly in order, chatting about things as we go, very Davos Fingarian, hitting all the high points. Sometimes we might make comparisons to the Fire and Blood book because we like that too. And uh, Davos Fingers is principally a, a book podcast. So we would be remiss, I think, if we weren't talking about the book as well. Uh, But largely, it's going to be about what we're seeing on the screen and what we think of it. So that'll be the first part of each episode. The last part, for you longtime Davos Fingers listeners, the return of Davos After Dark. Only it's now called Dragons After Dark. Because we're clever. Yes, quite clever. So that first part of the episode is going to be spoiler-free. We're not going to talk about things that happen in the books ahead of what has happened in the episode that we are discussing. That's for all of our listeners that maybe haven't read Fire and Blood yet and don't want to be spoiled about some of the things that might happen later on. So dragons, I almost said Davos, dragons after dark. We'll get into some of that spoilery stuff and uh, hypothesize about what might happen in the next episode of house of the dragon in this case being episode two yes and uh lastly if you want to contact us to uh chat about the episode at all uh give us some tips pointers have questions anything you want to reach out about us for we love to hear from you email at wearedavisfingers.gmail.com we are on twitter all the time at davisfingers you can find us on the facebooks and reach out there uh or you can check out the aforementioned patreon 
patreon.com forward slash Davos Fingers. Should we just dive into it, Matt? Should we do it? Let's go, man. We start right. at the Council of 101, right? We do. We do. And I thought this was a really effective opening scene for the series. Um, Remind me a little bit, I mean, not, not exactly, but a little bit of Lord of the Rings, how there's just so much dense information they're trying to give you. And in Lord of the Rings, the, the film, uh, they have, uh, they have uh, that wonderful opening intro that's just very dense, but it serves, it does a great job of kind of filling you in. I think this does a good job too. Uh, 14 claims to try to be the next ruler, and they narrowed it down to two and eventually landed on Viserys. What do you think, Matt? I loved it. First of all, just uh, the choice to have Rhaenyra narrating was excellent. You brought brought up Lord of the Rings as reminiscent of Galadriel mm-hmm. narrating that, and I thought it was just beautiful. Now, Scad, how about Harrenhal? Yeah. How awesome was that to see? Yeah, really cool. Very cool to see. You can see uh, almost like it's described in the series like the almost like dripping candles, right? They're various heights because they've just been melted down. Right. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It you just got you got a great idea of the majesty of that castle and also the ruin of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was great. I thought it was beautiful. Um, a couple differences in the books. Can we quibble about some minor things? Sure, go for it. Yeah, we're I, I'm I'm used to saying the books because we're usually talking about a song of ice and fire. I should it's, just say it's really the book. just the, the one book. We just need to get used to saying the book. I'm gonna guess there's two uh, there's also the world of ice and fire. That's right? true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway. Um Jaharis actually did not attend the Great Council in person. He did not. Right? He was not there. That's right. He uh wanted to stay out of it. I don't think he wanted to tip his hand at all toward a direction. Uh he wanted to leave it to the lords and really let them choose. You guys uh, figure it out. Interesting. Yeah. Let me know what you come up with. Interesting path. Yeah. Great managerial style. Um, the two great council claimants mm-hmm. in the in the show, it's Viserys and Rhaenys. In the book, it was actually Viserys and Lenore, who was Rhaenys' son. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the books, Leonor is uh, younger. I think he's eight or 10. I can't remember. Yeah, he's just he's, a kid. Mm-hmm. He's just a kid. And that was one of the one of the knocks against him. Uh, they've replaced that with Rayanus. And you'll notice that Matt and I pronounce these names differently sometimes. I have a whole system for how I name my Targaryens trying to follow a pattern. Uh, so Rayanus is how I say that name. Uh but yeah, I I didn't love it. I don't love how they've how they've done it, but I get it. I think they're trying to set up more conflict between these two specific characters right um and so it it, it works but in the shows you got to streamline things a little bit and uh i think it works i think it works too um just a little little reminder that uh jaharis had those two sons who were just awesome sons right it's always the good that die young when it comes to targaryens right yeah amon and balon and yep Rhaenys was Amon's daughter. Amon was the oldest and was the acknowledged heir before his untimely death. He was killed with the crossbow, right? Yes. He, yes, an errant shot. It wasn't actually even aimed at him. Only yep. the good die young. Yep. Uh, Balon, his younger brother, he was Viserys' dad and also Damon, Damon's dad. And he died of a burst belly, I think in yeah. the burst appendix or something like that. But, yeah. Yeah, you can never have in, have enough heirs, and Jay Harris and Alison had plenty, but uh, still ended up with this succession crisis. 
Um, one more difference, uh, and they did this with Game of Thrones too. Uh, these characters are very much aged up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Viserys uh, in the in Fire and Blood is only 23 or 24, 24, I think, uh, at the Council 101. Here, they don't give you an age, but he certainly looks much older. Uh, and that goes for Rayanus as well. Right. And so that happened in 101. Mm-hmm. Viserys, in reality, takes the throne in 103, just two Fire years later, That's in Fire true. and Blood. Tell us whether it happens right now in this, right? We don't know exactly when he took the throne. Sure. But we do have Emma dying in 105, just two years after Viserys had taken the throne. In Fire and Blood, yes. In Fire and Blood. Whereas in the show, uh, it says in the opening text that Viserys had ruled for nine years. So they did elongate that time period a little bit. Any ideas why? I I think to age up uh, Rhaenyra so that she was older when all those things happened. She was about eight. She was in, eight, in Fire and Blood, right? She was born in 97 AC and 105. Yeah, she was about eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, th- I think they did it probably to age her up. Um, but it, it has some interesting ramifications. We won't go into those here because spoilers. But it has some inf- interesting ramifications for other characters, I think. We might go into that in, in the Dead Dragons After Dark section. We'll see. Right. Uh, anything else on the council? Uh, no, uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, some some inter- you can see them trying to kind of tie it back to Game of Thrones here and there thematically and directly referencing Daenerys in the. And here you see it. Uh-huh, in the uh, 172 years. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. Though. I thought that was great for the casual show watcher. Yes, that immediately yeah. lets you go. Okay, Danny was this. This is right. this. Perfect. Right. right. Totally. I, I think it, it makes sense for what they're doing. Uh, yeah, let's move on to the next. The next scene is is really just kind of a, a beautiful opening fight sequence uh, with Cyrax carrying Rhaenyra, uh, and she lands and uh, has a quick discussion with Alicent, uh, and then goes in to see her mother, Emma. Um, yeah. Beautifully, beautifully shot. I think uh, it's Lovely. only a model. I don't think it's real. I think this is all digital. I don't think these are even real models. But it looks it looks lovely. It was the model uh, that Jaharis was designing later on in the episode, chipping away at. Yeah, maybe. That was it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the dragon, man? Beautiful. I loved it. I loved the entire shot. Not only was it beautiful to see the majesty of the Targaryens, but it was beautiful to see King's Landing and the Red Keep at the height of. A, yeah. a peacetime, right? Yes. When when it when things weren't ravaged by war and there wasn't that stress and some of the things that you see in Game of Thrones. It was cool to see the dragons flying overhead and the people walking around in the streets don't even look up at Cyrax. Yeah. Like they're yeah. just used to it. This is right? normal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh I, I thought I think that that served as a really nice introduction to the series and what the attitude is towards the Targaryens and dragons and what life is like, at least in King's Landing right now. I thought it was effective. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, what I didn't think was effective is those poor dragon keepers. <laughs> Man, they just give them like, I mean, it looks like they've bathed in weeks and they get a stick. They got like <laughs> charcoal all over them. Those poor guys. I mean, let's take care of them a little bit. Dragons don't like the scent of charcoal. And so... <laughs> it helps keep them alive. Scent nor taste. It's canon now. 
Yeah. By the way, what does a dragon smell like? Do you think? Uh, I was brought know. up a couple of times. I don't know. Uh, I, I hesitate to guess. It sounds yeah. like it's it's not like great, but yeah. I mean, well, you know, you, you hear about uh, like horsey smell, right? Yeah, it's probably yeah. like a similar idea, right? Mm-hmm. Except you know, not mammalian. Reptilian. I had an iguana as a kid, and that thing stunk stink. to high heaven. There you go. Yeah. There's, there's so maybe that's around. what it is. Congratulations. All the hot mm. takes here at Davos Fingers. At Davos Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> you could not keep that tank clean enough, man. It stunk all the time. But Ugh. he was a good little guy. One of my kids wants a lizard. I will make sure to continue saying no. Keep saying so, no, pal. Yeah, keep saying no. Yeah. Um, uh, I also I really... loved the uh, soundtrack. The soundtrack oh, was yeah. beautiful at this, yeah. at this scene. The score is lovely. Reminiscent of Game of Thrones. Uh, throughout uh, throw little but, themes in there but yeah. unique enough uh as well uh and yeah very lovely uh what do you think of this allison's rainera rainera meetup meet cute the meet cute exactly yeah right. some big time sexual tension huh but like they went right for it i mean like oh yeah it's a little it feels maybe a little one-sided uh, that look more, that rainera gives allison when she turns mm-hmm. around and goes back up into the a little carriage bit, thing oh yeah a little, mm-hmm. a little bit but but also it, there's something there too from allison's side i think she's she's not totally immune uh but they just went for that that's uh also different nothing nothing like that happens in nothing coy yeah um uh-huh. you know we talked about everyone getting aged up allison <laughs> does not get aged up i think she, she gets aged down she, a little bit. either down or nowhere right i mean i i think <laughs> yeah um, that's true she's yeah i think i think actually down right? she's I mean, born she's, in 88 right in fire and blood right uh so she read in, in fire and blood she read to jaharis on his deathbed and she would mm-hmm. have been at that time she would have been what 25 no 15 sorry yeah yeah 15 about the age I, that she seems to be in this. About the age she seems to be in this. So yeah, they've aged her down. If you add those nine years that Viserys has now been king, they've clearly aged her down, which is which is interesting, right? It makes makes some changes uh, possible, like this friendship slash romance, which they're interest. not friends in the book. No, uh, they get along early on. At they first. get along okay, yes, mm-hmm. early on, but they're not. I don't think they were really friends. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. nine years difference between the two of them in fire and blood correct nine year age difference yeah and here uh-huh. it feels more like maybe a year or not nothing right similar age yeah yep yep um then we move to the scene where rainera talks with her mother emma um rather she she, she her mother tells her that this that you'll be here soon this is this is our battlefield uh you're going to be in a birthing bed someday and with a royal womb it's your job to give heirs which is a major theme in this episode at least but probably um without spoiling too much probably will ring true throughout the series oh my goodness uh, yeah this this hbo series um but rainira says i'd rather serve as a knight and ride to battle in glory and so you get kind of right off that Rhaenyra is not necessarily uh, interested in the traditional roles uh, that the Targaryens usually force their women into. 
Yeah, and I think that maybe that characterization was one that was made to help endear her to us. That's very reminiscent of maybe some of the princesses that we're used to seeing growing up, the Mulans oh, and, Mulan. you know, stuff like that. Uh, and so it kind of endears her a little bit to us right off the bat, especially with her, you know, mom, I'm just worried about you. You know, I'm not worried yes. about me. I'm worried about you. How are you? I'm not worried about the baby. How are you, mom? And we just instantly fall in love with her. Yeah. And uh, spoiling a little bit in episode, right? But we don't get much between them, right? We get this lovely scene uh, where the, the, the love is evident between mm -hmm. them. You can tell they're very close. Uh, but we don't get, I don't think, even another look at the two of them, maybe. So, uh, sad. Very sad. This discomfort is how we serve the realm, Emma told her. We have royal wombs, you and I. Childbirth is our battlefield. Pass. That's a premonition of things to come. We'll yes. talk about that in just a few minutes, probably. We will. Moving on to the first council meeting now. Uh, yes. It's a little it's a little weird the way it starts to me. Uh, we immediately get Corliss Valerion uh, talking about the triarchy. It's like the first stage of businesses. He's worried about this uh, group of countries from Essos. They're kind of invading. They're not invading Westeros, but they're kind of infringing on shipping lanes and things like that that the Westeros needs through some islands. And it's called Under the guise of getting rid of pirates. But Corliss yes. reads between the lines and yes, sees that they might be establishing a pretty strong foothold there. Also of note, Corliss's family is big into shipping. So like mm -hmm. he has a vested interest in continuing to bring this up. And he does. He brings it up like four times. And each time they're like, shut up about the triarchy. Come oh my on. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Otto Hightower says the king or the, what is it? The, the his, king, grace. His, his grace, grace has, has taken will take it under advisement, and then he's exactly. like, "So the party, yes, yes, something Viserys does want to talk about." He said he'd be delighted to talk about it. Yes, which I think is great characterization setting up who Viserys is. He's described as very jovial and fire and blood. He likes to have a good time. I feel that Patty Con Considine or Considine. Yeah. Considine. Patty Considine does a really great job of playing him, but he comes off as a little more somber than I imagine in Fire and Blood. Mm. A, a little bit more somber. I imagine Viserys in Fire and Blood being like, yeah. Yeah. Very jovial and just he always comes having off a good time. More somber, but also more capable to me and more interested. Sure. Right. Sure. So I so his interest in throwing the party, totally on brand. I get that. The tourney, uh, I guess. Yeah, the tourney as as well mm -hmm. as celebration fun, but he seems he seems more interested in the goings on of of the kingdom. He's still cowardly and not great at making hard decisions about them, but he seems more interested at least, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know that he knows it's his responsibility. Um, I I love what they've done with Viserys. It's one of my favorite characterizations we've got in the show so far. I think he's it's fantastic. Let's keep really talking good. about him yeah. throughout because he does great. He does. Um, Fire and Blood has an interesting line. Many consider the reign of Viserys I to represent the apex of Targaryen power in Westeros. Yeah. So we're meant to see, you know, Targaryen life in all its finery in this. And yeah. But as we know, when you hit the apex... Only one way to go. There's only one way to go if we call it the apex. So, yeah. you know, again, not to spoil, but... 
changes they are a coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We get our first look at the small council, which for book readers is fun. We get to put some uh, faces to different names. We get uh, Lyman Beesbury. Yes, Beesbury. Who's the master of coin. And we have uh, Lionel Strong as well. Uh, He's a bit of a disappointment. Uh, They describe, they go to a reasonable lengths of describing him in Fire and Blood as a really capable guy. He trained as a maester for a while. He's very educated, very smart, kind of um, <clears throat> perceptive. Um, the guy they got and the way they've had him play, it feels quite different. He's, but he's almost he's, like an extra, but maybe yeah. we'll see more. Yeah, he's, he's more like a, more he's more like a Cersei's, uh, you know, cabinet member guy. He's, she's, <laughs> he, he's a guy Cersei would take. <laughs> Just shut up and do your job. To, to lick the boot, yeah. <clears throat> Famously in Fire and Blood, Lionel brings two sons with him to King's Landing when he takes his position of Master of Laws. Harwin, who becomes a captain in the Gold Cloaks, and Laris, who starts off as one of uh, his confessors. Harwin, we do get to see later on in the episode. Oh, did we? Um, I know that not by name, but because I was looking at the cast on IMDb. Oh, and okay. I, I recognize that face. So Okay. Interesting. He's the one uh, being pleasured oh, in really? uh, the pleasure house. And he yells, silence! So yeah. Damon can give his little speech. That's apparently Harwin, or, um, yeah, Harwin Strong. I hate it. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll leave that. We'll leave that there. Uh, okay. Uh, moving on. The next scene is uh, Rhaenyra walks in uh, and sees to the to the throne room and sees her uncle Damon sitting there, Jamie Lannister esque. It's so Jamie Lannister esque. Yeah, a nice little nice little fan service <clears throat> moment there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they didn't show him for like the first what was probably like twenty seconds of the conversation. She's walking maybe in, longer, yeah, talking to him. Yeah, yeah. And then that was really well done really eerie look at him and the way he's kind of seated on the throne is just oh also the throne is fantastic they've redone the throne from game of thrones right it's totally different it's not just uh, a chair now yeah it's awesome it's just much more grandiose i love it it's not as mountainous as you kind of see in some of the song of ice and fire art yes yes but uh they definitely go to greater lengths to yeah make it more like you said grandiose and bigger yes yeah um, this is where we get our first look at the relationship between Rhaenyra and Damon, and I am here for it. I think the chemistry is fantastic, if not a little creepy at some parts, but fantastic. Uh, these two play off each other so well. Um, a nice sense of familial affection. Uh, and I really, I thought they did a fantastic job. Loved it. Yeah. Uh, the actress playing playing Rhaenyra does a fantastic job, but, but Matt Smith is absolutely nailing. Holy freaking crap. Holy Uh, freaking crap. He does a great job of here, here, like you said, being familial, but also maybe a little too familiar. Okay. So the part that made me go Uh was when he's like, turn around. Yes. When he gets the necklace and I'm like, Oh, what are you going to (laughs) do? But also like, this is, it's uncomfortable to talk about because it's creepy. But like she, the the way she like takes off her other necklace, and we're kind of looking right at her face. I don't know. Like, I think she's 
she's playing with him a little bit too, right? I feel I feel like it's going both ways. Yeah, I can see that. I I can see that. She, I mean, she loves her uncle as an uncle, but she's she's clearly learning things here to me mm, about mm-hmm. how adults interact. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying she did anything wrong. I'm just saying this relationship is dodgy and a little uncomfortable to me. A little uncomfortable. Already. Already. <laughs> first scene. They're Amongst both doing a tremendous job. I think it's totally intended. They're acting the crap out of it. Yes. <clears throat> yep. Uh, hosting a tournament in my honor is the way Damon puts it because he's the heir. He's the heir and it's, it's a it's, tournament to celebrate the heir. Celebrate the heir. Uh, his new heir. Rhaenyra yep. corrects him. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good scene. Speaking of interesting relationships, then we shift over to the Godswood. Oh yeah, with Rhaenyra and Alicent yep. having another little fun friend moment there together. Yes, uh, Alicent is reading to Rhaenyra or quizzing her more like out of a book talking about the story of Nymeria. Yes, and her thousand ships, mm-hmm. and the, I imagine the entire fandom screaming, "More's Martell!" When he's asking who she married and she won't give the answer. They're like, we know, we know. It's like people listening to Davos Fingers episodes when we yes. don't remember something. Yes. And we just imagine the us. people yelling at us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we uh, get it. People guys. are angry. People are we angry right it. now. We get it. Yeah. Uh, most symbolic to me is at the end of the scene where Rhaenyra reaches over and literally takes a page out of Nymeria's book. Yes. Yes, very uh, hard-hitting, uh, perhaps, uh, telling telling some future there. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Of her uh, potential leadership qualities. Yes, is, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you want him to have a son, Allison says to Rhaenyra in Godswood. She's surprised by this. And it's an interesting look at Allison because she, you kind of feel like she's this just lovely little cinnamon roll. Just a sweet, mm-hmm. sweet gal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her reaction to Rayanera being okay with her position, and I don't mean laying on her lap, but her position in the pecking order, is surprising. And it's kind of like a smirk. It's 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 like she's she doesn't understand why you wouldn't want the power. Mm-hmm. And I think you can see a little bit in Allison that she yeah she's got a little power hungry side to her. Yeah, do you it's think just that a little might... moment? It's just a little thing where she kind of not recoils but just kind of reacts to Rhaenyra being okay with her place. Do you think some of that comes from her dad and just always being conditioned to being like, always push for more, always push for more? We don't know much and we don't know much from Fire and Blood either about how she was raised early. Sure. Get a good look in a scene later about how she's being pushed very soon. So I don't know whether he's been pushed, but I kind of, I kind of make, make a comparison to Marjorie a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's maybe been trained to, you know, to try to work her way through this court system and, and do it for the family. Maybe even that's why she's getting this close to Rhaenyra. Although again, that's pretty speculative. You know, we don't really know that. Sure. Sure. Well, then we go to another couple, right? Mm-hmm. We've yeah, got Viserys and Emma in the tub. Well, yeah. one's in the tub. One's not. You called it a sweet scene. Tell me what it you is, think. Well, it is until it isn't, right? Sure. Um, sure. Uh, you know, they're, he's coming to visit her. She's trying to, you know, 
get a get a rest in a hot, well, he calls it a tepid bath. Um, you know, she's very uncomfortable. She's in the stage of pregnancy that is not at all comfortable. Um, and he's coming here to just kind of spend some time with her and they have a little discussion and it's going to be a boy and Rainier thinks it's going to be a girl and it's, you know, it's kind of nice. Uh, but it gets, it gets pretty demanding uh, and you're going to give me an heir and I know it's going to be a boy and him pinning a lot of expectations on her for something she has no control over whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, it goes downhill quick. I had a dream. Mm -hmm. Oh, so did your dream talk to my womb? Like, like yeah. Was there some <laughs> communication going on there? I, yeah. Right. Ugh. Yeah. The series, the, the affection between the two of them is pretty obvious. Yeah. And, sure. and I say that in the sense that the bar for the way that husbands treat their wives, especially the noble husbands, I think in Westeros is pretty darn low to begin with. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. not much expected of a husband in terms of being a warm, loving and affectionate husband. That's right. not what they do. And in that sense, I think Viserys, he, he does show some, I think, pretty genuine affection toward his wife, but he's in love with the version of her. I think that she, the version of her that he thinks she is meant to be. And it goes so far as you are an air maker first and you're my companion second. Welcome, welcome to being a Targaryen woman, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's kind of how they treat pretty much all their women, with maybe the exception of, I know there's some backlash recently against Jay Harris, but Jay Harris and Alison, I think, got along pretty well. I think that affection was real for them. And he certainly... A very strong partnership as a well. Partnership, yes. A yeah. Partnership for sure, but affection. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't treat her 100% either. He did some things that was not great. There were some uh, fallen outs there. But I wonder if maybe the affection shone through and Viserra saw that and mm -hmm. saw that, you know, those parts should be there in, in a relationship. I, I wonder that. Yeah. But as soon as she starts talking, and you've already alluded to this a little bit, as soon as she starts talking about this is going to be my last child, um, he doesn't reply to that. No. You can tell it bothers him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't that's like your, having that ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And good for freaking Emma for saying it. I yeah. loved it. I love that she came out and said it. This is it. A change too from Fire and Blood. Uh, they have given her five miscarriages. Or, well, mm -hmm. five five children that didn't make it anyway. Yeah. Um, in Fire and Blood, I think it's only two. But I, who cares? It's you know, it's it's very sad, regardless. And I understand not wanting to mourn more of them. So uh, she says, I've mourned all the dead children I can. I mean, she's almost begging him to just, yeah. please just let this go. Drop it. Yeah. Let it be. Please. Like I'm done. Mm -hmm. And she says it as a statement, but it feels like begging too. Right. Right. And he doesn't like it. You can tell by the look on his face. He doesn't yeah. like it. Yeah. Quick question before we move on. Um, they talk about, if it was a girl, Rhaenyra wants the baby's name to be Visenya. Yeah. And kind of under his breath, uh, Viserys mutters, this family already has its Visenya. Do you think he's talking to the original Visenya sister of Aegon? Or is he like well, talking about someone to, in their more immediate he's family? referring to Daemon. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought as well. I mean, I think he's joking, but you know, there's sure. a little truth in the joke too. Visenya uh, was the more militant sister. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like you, it's not like they went full Megor, right? For sure. Uh, in the comparison, at least not yet. For sure. Um, but yeah. Uh, the next thing we have is uh, <laughs> it's the gold cloak scene. We have Damon again in his element. Damon has been given control of the gold cloaks. He's outfitted them with uh, better weapons, clo- cloaks, armor, all the all the good stuff that you need if you're going to terrorize your population. Uh, and they do. They, they do run out and round up. You know, to be fair, these are supposedly criminals that have done things that have the punishments that they're executing out, that they're doling out. They've supposedly done these things, but there's no trials happening. There's no sort of ability to defend yourself or claim it's not you or anything due process do yeah. no due process of any kind yeah uh they're just doing it and it feels super arbitrary yes rapist yes what thief <laughs> i mean it yeah it's gross it's visceral i don't, I don't really want ugly. to spend any more time on it it's it's, it's people in power brutalizing their populace it's terrible yep. and uh i think that's meant to be i think it's meant to give us you know, we, we see a Damon who's kind of playful with his yeah. little niece and stuff, slightly creepy. You see that he's got a hunger for power. This scene shows us also a side of Damon that maybe we wouldn't have seen if they just explained it to us. It's almost like we kind of had to see that to teach the audience, this guy's ruthless mm-hmm. and he's a bad egg. He yeah. is a bad egg. Um, yeah. And he does, and he does a great job doing it, right? Um, and I think our reaction—well, I think there's a lot of these things that kind of ring true and, and point at our society today. There's a lot of feeling about this kind of thing in today's society as well. Absolutely. Um, and I, it's not the only theme uh, in this episode that I think does that, but um, and it's been covered elsewhere, I'm sure. But uh, for the sake of Damon as a character this scene does a great job of setting him up for exactly how brutal we can expect him to be. Yep. So, yep. I'm glad you brought up the uh, today thing. You know, I've got a complicated relationship with I do all of that. that so. Yes. <laughs> and I don't need to walk around eggshells on it with you, but uh, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to go too hard at it either. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Uh, we're now, I, let's just say, I understand that my experience is not nearly the same as many others. And I yes. get that. And I get that. And nor mine. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, yeah. Yep. But I, I'll, I'll just say, I think that the show creators are very vigorously nodding their head at mm-hmm. goings on today with that scene. And yep, for sure. More than just that, more coming. But And that's valid. That's valid. Uh, we're now thrust back into the council. Uh, you are to explain your doings. Damon Targaryen. Yeah. So they want to know, they want an explanation from Damon as to why he just went out and did this. And I know everyone hates Otto, but based on this episode, other than the one scene with Allison later that we'll get to, all I can think of is like, he's right about everything. Yeah. He's right. Like, he's right every time. What can I say? <laughs> like, and then <laughs> this this just goes again to show the characterization of Viserys. So Damon 
is completely slandering basically Otto and his relationship with his recently deceased wife. Yeah. Otto finally loses his patience and starts to fire back. And who does Viserys chastise? Otto. Yeah. Oh, you know that Damon says stuff like that. Yes. Da, 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 da. Why do you antagonize him so? You know oh, he's going to let loose on you. Yeah. Uh, Matt Smith again, fantastic in this scene. Uh, it's maybe maybe my favorite scene for him in this in this episode. The look that he gives Viserys after Viserys chastises Otto is just so smug. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Just like this yeah. smug. Yeah. You are the biggest weakling in the world. And I have got my thumb right on top of all of you, Viserys. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he says, uh, I, Viserys says to him, I just hope you don't have to maim half my city uh, yeah. to protect it. Right. And, and, and Damon answers, time will tell. Like, I'm not apologizing for it. If I have to maim half the city, I'm going to do it. Yep. And you're going to like it. We'll see. And then Viserys gives the classic, I don't want to punish you parent answer. Any other performances like last night will be answered for. Yes. Yes. And and the look he gives, Damon gives back to him is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I know I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna get through it anyway. Whatever you go with, I'm just gonna work my way through it and be fine. Right. You. You have no power over me. Yep. Yeah. Uh, nice little Alessandra reference there at the end. Uh, Viserys mentions that the city's been in decline since her passing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, the only. I only have one real. One more real quick thing for this scene, uh, and it. I think it was maybe even in the first scene too, we get a sense that Corliss and Damon are maybe, I don't know about close, but aligned. Yeah. They seem, they seem kind of in lockstep a little bit, which is, mm -hmm. which is interesting. I don't remember feeling that way in Fire and Blood. It made me want to go back and read it a little, a little more closely. Um, won't spoil stuff that we know right. happens, but at this point in Fire and Blood, I don't remember, I didn't remember them being buddy, buddy. Yep, or at least Damon having Corliss's support. Yeah, right. So. Uh, anything else for this section before we move to the Pleasure House? Yeah, and I don't even have too much for the Pleasure House. I don't either. I just hate that scene. You hate it? Uh, I just I I don't need it. It doesn't it doesn't add much. It's maybe Matt's worst scene too. Like the way he like covers his face with his arm in anger when he can't. Uh, when he can't perform finish yeah like, and he can't finish uh i don't know it just looked totally unnatural it's really uncomfortable yep yeah, yeah it wasn't yeah and my sorry is like meh i don't right she doesn't do a lot for me I, i'm not talking about sexually i mean like the, the character didn't do doesn't do a lot for me so far we'll see where that goes yep the white worm the white worm yeah, what a which, gross nickname, though. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's more fitting for Damon. For sure. Get it? His name's Matt White. I like how people have started calling him on Twitter Matt Damon. Have you seen that? <laughs> Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. Did you ever see America World Police? Did you see that one? No. Oh. I always disappoint you when I see Matt Damon. They have a Matt. They have a Matt Damon little puppet, and 
Oh. It just it only ever says Matt Damon. It just says its own name and that weird voice that I did. So he's like Hodor. A little bit. Okay. Little bit. Yeah, we're Groot. Okay. We're Groot. Uh, tourney. We're at the tourney. Okay, here we go. Boy, my wife is rooting hard for Kristen Cole. Really? Mm-hmm. She's crushing on that guy pretty hard. No spoilers. But I Well, join the ranks, sis. Yeah, join the ranks. Mm-hmm. He's an attractive gentleman and clearly from Dorne with that brown hair. Clearly. He looks great. He looks great. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's see. So in Fire and Blood, there isn't a known tourney to celebrate the birth of Viserys' son. No. Uh, we do have a tourney to celebrate Viserys' ascension to the throne in 103. And that's where Kristen Cole first comes on the scene. Uh, where he did beat Damon at the joust and at the melee. I like that they kind of combined that here. Hmm. He beats him at the joust and then they fight it out uh, hand to hand. Is that different than the tourney that happened? It must be different than the tourney that happens to celebrate their fifth year anniversary. I think so. Yeah. Allison and Viserys. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Th- this. I, I, I have real problems with the turning. We'll get more into it in the next scene, but okay. Uh, like, I don't understand why Damon can just trip trip, trip the horse. What's with that? Like, like Aowen, my wife was like, "Well, he can't just do that." I'm like, "Yeah, they'll probably tell him he can't do it or whatever." And then and they, they don't. Didn't. It's just like okay, yeah. And then he rubs salt in the wound by getting Allison's favor, and but oh my god. Because it's it's Otto's, well, they say eldest son. That's different than in Fire and Blood, but they say Otto's eldest son uh, that he cheats by tripping the horse, uh, and then he goes and gets Allison's favor to rub it in. And not only that, but Masterful. Allison's like happy to get it. Yes, give it like, yes. and she's like cheering for him. Yeah. yeah, I put down that's the ultimate flex by Damon against Otto. Huge flex, huge flex. Oh my and Otto gosh, can't, Otto can't do it. He can't do crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wondered about that too. Is it like a, like a uh, baseball rule or something where like, you're not supposed to throw the ball at the batter, but if you do, the batter just takes his base and the game goes on. But even then that's still like a penalty of yes. sorts. But you don't win. It looks like he won this bout. Because the guy this. didn't get up. Yeah. The guy didn't get up and he moved on and kept jousting. So I, or is it a sense of just privilege where, Who's going to tell Damon? I, no. Well, that's that's what if, I wanted. If it's really just meant to show us that Damon can get away with whatever, he with wants. anything, so Sari's just kind of like, yeah. The guy's dad is sitting right next to the king, yeah. and he still didn't do so well. It, yeah, yeah, whew, exactly. Tough luck. There's also that, that Damon. That Damon. <laughs> oh, what oh, a scamp! <laughs> what a little scamp! <laughs> we get some. Uh, Queen who never was uh, love. So the queen who never was is Rhaenys. They call her that yeah. because she was passed over for Viserys. Um, that's by a Baratheon. Was, and her mom was a Baratheon. Yeah. In Fire so and Blood, of course, she was passed there. over by Balon, not by Viserys. But um, in the show, she was passed over by Viserys. Yeah. And it was a Baratheon getting her favor, like you said. Um, calls her the queen who never was. And Otto says he should have his tongue out for that. And I, it's, a, it's a little brilliant little piece because it also shows us there. Viserys's ruling style. Mm-hmm. He's he's not Damon. He's not going to take somebody's tongue out for that. He's 
just going to let let them talk. It doesn't hurt yeah. anything, right? It's groovy, man. He does it's not groovy. want conflict. He does not yeah. want conflict. They've He's achieved peace. Them. Things are going really well. Let's not mess with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. that's that's in my realm <laughs> where I'm not really the king of my realm, but uh that's that's kind of my parenting style too. Is like, are you really hurting anybody right now? Yeah. Let's chill out here. Yeah. Just yeah, things are okay. Things are yeah. okay. Don't overreact. Speaking of Rainey's, one of my favorite parts of the whole episode is the absolute gossip between her and Corliss just sitting there. It is so choice. Yeah. I, I want them to be my aunt and uncle, maybe yeah. my dad and mom. I just love them both. Yeah. And uh, we just get a little snippet of it here, and I can't yeah. wait for more. It's very it's very subtly done, but you can tell it seems like they have like a really strong relationship. Mm-hmm. Like we, we don't get details. Maybe Corliss mistreats her too, just like all the other relationships we see in this episode, but you you don't it doesn't feel that way. It feels like they're very tight. It feels like Corliss comes home from small council meetings and just unloads everything onto Rannies, just like venting, That's, just venting, you know? Yeah. And she just eats it up and she's like, yeah. those sons of bitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have put me up there. It'd be much better. Yeah. Yeah. Another funny thing that I just liked was the master of coin, Lyman Beesbury, casting bets, making bets. You oh know? yes, yes, I saw that's, that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, what he bet? He bet five hundred on Damon or something, or five dragons? I think it was five dragons. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Good old Beesbury. <laughs> yep. Uh, when we wanted the birthing tourney overlay. Oh my gosh! This is the scene. This is how this brutal is the one that's been been talked about quite a bit. Um, I I have a lot of feelings about this, but it's actually not about the birthing side. It's about the other side. Okay. Um, you know, I, I guess starting with the birthing side, I don't, I don't think I have anything to say that hasn't been said in a lot of places uh, already. You know, in our world, for sure, that's a, you know, whether or not they choose to try to take the baby out and save it at the expense of the mother is definitely the mother's choice. In mm-hmm. our society, that's the way it should be. I think a lot of people are really upset that that's not the way it is in the show. And I get that. Right. It was brutal and it's terrible to watch. And we all hate how these women are treated. She absolutely should have been the one given that choice. Right. Yeah. I don't have much more to say other than that. The brutality of it was hard to watch. It was really hard to watch. Um, but also, it was an effective scene and I, you know, I'm not big on, I'm not big on pain for effect. I don't, I don't shock want to, value, shock value yeah. stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that, mm-hmm. but I thought the way this scene was done was pretty good as oh. jarring and terrible as it was. It was pretty good. Achieved the effect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, what Grandmaster Melos, which really, he actually didn't come into power until late or into power into his position until later. Another slight fire and blood difference. Mm. It was Grandmaster Runciter before that. Runciter earlier, yeah. Yeah. But no big deal. Combine them. It's fine. It's necessary for the father to make an impossible choice. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, what's been said has been said. You've got patriarchy. Yep. Oh, yeah. 
It's ugly. It's ugly. And then as she's being held down, has no idea what's happening, even as the blade is brought to her stomach to make the first cut. She still has no idea what's going on. No idea what's happening. No, no discussion. I mean, there's so far along the scale of the wrong choice. <laughs> there's all, all sorts of other points that would have been better than what they did. Uh, at least informing her what's happening out of respect would be the bare minimum bar. But I mean, right. there's so much more they should have done differently. Um, you know, And if Emma had been given the choice, she would have made it. Probably, but it's all, it's all, it doesn't matter. Beside the point, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, but it's, yeah, it's kind of beside the point. Yeah. Um, so it was her choice to make. So, my problem with this scene is the other half, right? And I think the idea, the idea that they're trying to get at here was pretty brilliant of comparing the birthing bed to the you know the jousting war and stuff men are out fighting their battle while she is fighting hers as alluded to in the earlier so, scenes so, so i think they took the bait to try to make it a battle but it really just took me i've i've i was really frustrated with this scene to the point where i almost if we weren't going to cover it matt i would have walked away and i wouldn't have watched the series anymore <laughs> i was i was that upset by this scene okay this is okay. not how attorneys go <laughs> no, no, no one would put their son in attorney if you were expected to get off and then kill each other. Afterwards. If you could just wantonly kill. And, yeah. and the main theme of this first episode and one of the main themes of Fire and Blood and I presume House of the Dragon in general and the name of this very episode, Heirs of the Dragon, is that heirs are super fucking valuable. Nobody's going to put their heirs or their sons in jousting tournaments if there's an expectation that, yeah, you can just get off your horses and kill each other afterward. Yeah. They use blunted weapons. These are sporting games. They're not war. And so it was really frustrating for me to watch. And it, it also takes you, it, it has effect to me further downstream on canon, right? Because they're doing a lot of interesting stuff, inserting some things. We'll get to more of it later. Inserting some things here that affect, you know, the, the book canon, the Song of Ice and Fire canon a little bit. And when they do something like this, it's like, well, now are, do people expect that this is okay at tourneys? We do. I don't want to pretend we don't have instances where things get violent at tourneys. We know this happens with Duncan Egg. We know uh, it, it happens even later um, without But this makes it seem blood. like it's just normal. It makes it seem commonplace. This is what yeah. we expect in a joust. It's ridiculous. No one would enter them knowing this. And it, it broke me. I, I, I Honestly, I, I would, if we weren't covering it, I would have given up on the series and walked away. It's it's ridiculous, and yeah, and that fits. No one, it really undercuts the theme of the heirs too, right? Like no one would do this with their sons. You wouldn't go in there. You wouldn't. Right. You wouldn't do it. I agree. One thing I did like about the tourney, uh, the joust, was in in other depictions of joust that I've seen, they make a pass at each other, break their lances or whatever, and then they kind of like go back and they talk to their squire, their guy, they get a new lance, they get mm-hmm. kind of ready, catch their breath a little, then they go again. They get the towel love... and the bucket of water and the sponge like a boxing match. Like almost. a boxing match, yeah. Right. I loved in this one how it was so fast-paced, like you made your pass and yeah. then your squire threw you another lance and yeah. you just caught it as you were turning and you went for another. I thought if that was awesome. If you don't, awesome. the other guy's going to come stab you in the back, right? Like you I thought get out that there. was awesome. I did. Uh, but the it can... execution of the fights was excellent. 
the the, it, the way they shot it was great, and I, I really liked a lot of those choices. Just but. the just the wanton killing. Yes. Just I, I agree. It took me out of the scene for a minute. It left me going, why why in the world are they doing it? You can't do that. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. I know it's, jousts it's are, have different rules depending on the joust. We also read that in the main series. You know, different jousts have different rules and mm-hmm. everything. But nowhere have we seen like you could just straight up murder a guy in front of everybody else, and everyone's yeah. like, "Yeah." So there, I don't want to spoil it because it does happen later in Fire and Blood, and so I don't want to spoil it. But there are there are instances where people go too far, and they're punished for it. They're sure. punished for it. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's just totally unbelievable. Yeah. Well, but the other the other one, the one of the things I hated about the tourney was the crier guy that's just like announcing what's gonna happen. And the, my least favorite one is what does he say? He says, uh uh where is it? He says, Damon would like to continue the match afoot or something. Like, like just just cuz? Yeah. Like d- does the guy who just won the joust get any say in this? Maybe he'd like it to be over. Like what? How do you decide when you get to continue or not? So the it's it's like when the loser gives up, that's when it's over. Yeah, that's yeah, it's weird. kind of unclear. Yeah, yep, I agree. So, as effective as a scene as this was symbolically, yeah. um, with the the two battles, as it were, being fought. Yes, and in my opinion, also people needlessly dying or not mm-hmm. having a choice over whether they live or they die. Yes. You get that on both sides, right? Um, there were some problems that take you out of it, but it's all on the jousting side. I agree to with me you. It is, that, yes. yeah. yeah, as hard as the Emma scene was to watch, it was man, it was it was effective at what it was doing. Uh, yeah, it stays with you. It stays yes. with you. Uh, we don't have an account in Fire and Blood of that actually happening. We do know that it, it goes as far as to say that that son did die, but yeah. no account of Viserys having to make that choice. However, Ro- another character, Rogar Baratheon, does make that choice in Fire and Blood. That might have had to have been for Dragons After Dark. I don't know. But uh, I just said it. So there it is. <laughs> well, it happened earlier. So it won't be something that happens in this show. Yes, that's right. Yep. So, so we're good. But yes. So they still um, brought that uh, conflict into Fire and Blood here or into House of the Dragon this way. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, and. <laughs> Yeah, a brutal, a brutal. Again, this is to me very much a nod to things going on these days in in our in our very country um, with abortion rights and women's yeah. bodily autonomy and control. And um, anyway, I, I think it's it's reminiscent, and I think it's meant to be. It's on purpose. For sure. So no question. Um, okay. Uh, you want to move on? Yeah. So we get this ominous scene at the end of that scene where Melos is holding the young infant Balon mm-hmm. and the, the baby's crying. And then all of a sudden it kind of goes into like coughing a little bit, yeah, but not enough to like lead you to believe that something's wrong. And then the next scene, they show the baby wrapped up on the pyre. Wrapped up. Yep. Yeah. And with That's Emma so as well. Right. right. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a new heir. I named it Balon. It doesn't last more than a day. Um, yeah, you're right. It looks like the baby's maybe in trouble immediately if you can interpret that sound. It's very brief. Mm-hmm. But it, it Super brief. And you're like, is that, what is that? 
And you're like, no, um, no, no. Aeon <sighs> was like, oh no, it's going to die, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And yes, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that um, uh, maybe your favorite Matt Smith acting moment was previously. Yeah. This one was mine. Yeah. This one was mine. You get uh, from this guy who had just led the gold cloaks out in this ruthless killing spree or maiming spree, whatever you want to call it. Um, here you see him and his sorrow is palpable. Yeah. In that moment, he is a brother and he's an uncle. He's sensitive. He's, I think, empathetic towards Rhaenyra. And I thought that scene was beautifully acted by Damon um, and by Matt Smith, excuse me, and really added a, a different dimension and depth of character that I thought was excellent. Yeah, I agree. It was well done. It shows another side of Damon as well. Um, you know, he really is kind of, I think, all about family. Not That's not true. He's about personal, personal ascendance, mm-hmm. I think, and mm-hmm. family, right? I think he very much is go targs go you know Um, sure so when this when tragedy strikes his family like this it hits him i think i don't i don't think that was fake i think that's a a real part of damon's character and who he is Mm -hmm. um then of course we get the the next scene with with him but we'll get there when we get there yeah uh we do see some angst here from rhaenyra as well blaming her dad fair totally fair fair um you know he basically chose to kill her mom without giving her any choice nor telling Rhaenyra to let her come see that's what I was going to say we missed I missed covering or mentioning that in the in our talking about the last scene is that Rhaenyra everyone finds out about it except for her and she's left sitting there and wondering yeah which sucks and then she is she's the one that has to take charge at the funeral yeah she does and uh you know, this happens in, in Fire and Blood. Again, this happens much earlier. She's eight when her mother dies mm-hmm. um, in Fire and Blood. Um, she's also, you know, I, I think they've made a change here for the show that in Fire and Blood, it's very clear that she's doted on by her parents. She is called the realm's delight. The Everyone realm's loves delight. her. She's celebrated everywhere she goes, every room she comes in. In the show, she's more kind of almost forgotten she's yeah kind of just she forms her roles and she's around but she's not she's not a central piece to this to this family right it's it's kind of an interesting change but i don't really yeah. know why they did it you can tell the series is affectionate towards her there's where she comes into the council room I'm late and, and he's kind of like sweet with her and everything yeah. and um but not to that degree that you yeah. pick up on in the book yeah yeah uh Speaking council of council three. room, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're talking about the succession. Mm-hmm. Corliss, Corliss says, "Like, what are you talking about? We've already got an heir. It's Damon. We know this. Why, mm-hmm. Otto? Why are you, why are you trying to create problems where there aren't problems? We've got an heir. It's Damon. Stop it. Let's go to bed. Right. But Otto and others. It's not just Otto." They're not having it. They think Damon's going to wreck shit if he gets in charge, right? And frankly, again, Otto's right. (laughs) Damon would make a terrible king. Is Uh, this something that has to happen in the middle of the night, though? Like, no. I, um, no. 
I don't think so. I mean, uh, well, I think this is the scene where Mello says, if the fate should, you know, cast you down or something, uh, then implies that maybe Damon would do it on purpose, right? And kill him. Yeah, this is the time it's, to do it. So maybe so they that, want to do yeah. it sooner rather than later, but, yeah. but no, it doesn't feel like it needs to happen like right away. Also, the, this might not be the middle of the night one, is it? There's also the next one. Anyway, we'll get to it. I might be confusing two of them, but uh, Damon's spying on them while they have this meeting. Uh, this is the one. Yeah, this is the next one is where they are talking about what he said yes. at the pleasure house. Aaron for a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, th there's there are a lot of reasons not to do this, not to name a new successor. It's not usually done, right? Um, the candidates are women, and uh, Strong, Lionel Strong says, like, the Westeros won't stand for this. Like, we've decided it's men yeah. only. We've I mean, Aegon, Aegon had an older sister. Jaehaerys yeah. had an older sister. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's bunk, right? I mean, it's garbage. We for know sure. that. But... Um, but to them, this is precedent, and people don't like change, and we can't just we on a change. whim go do this just because, you know. There's a reason you've been trying to have an heir for so long, because that's how it's done, right? You got to have a male heir. Um, don't break 100 years of tradition by naming a queen, Lionel says, yep. if, you're if you're worried about stability. Because the Targaryen dynasty is a pinnacle of stability already. Yes. So... But I do love at the end of the scene, Patty blows up. Patty Constantine uh, Viserys, he blows up. Ain't My wife and him. son are dead. Yep, brilliant. Mention even drops the feast for crows book name, mm -hmm. um, and just walks away. So it's a it's a good moment for him, but also it shows us again, he's gonna find ways out of dealing with conflict, sure. especially when it when it's got to do with his brother, right. So he's he's running away from it again. You asked me to choose between my my daughter and my brother. Yeah. Well, I love my brother, but yeah. I'm going to pick my daughter every time. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 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 It, it feels like it feels like it should be an easy choice almost right. to us. And but, I would expect him, my brother, to pick his daughter every time over me. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. Yep. So just when we're thinking like, you know, Otto, you're right. You're absolutely right about Damon. Otto goes and reminds us that he's an absolute, utter, complete yeah. prick in every bad word you can name him. Yeah. So he's sending a raven to Old Town, plotting, scheming, looks like. Yeah, we don't quite and, know why. And then Allison comes in, and it's immediate. It's immediately pressuring her to leverage her to get information about Rhaenyra to suggest that he go that she go uh comfort the king Ugh. and by the way put on one of your mother's dresses when you do it um yeah it's creepy yeah it's creepy uh it's not good it's uh, you wonder whether because the way he says it is kind of um it's it's not a it's not a command to go uh you know to go ingratiate yourself with the king and make him fall in love with you but it's insinuated absolutely and no you question. wonder if it's been this passive aggressive 
relationship between them the whole time, right? That he's just always pressuring her to do these things that she does not want to do. And he shows just enough fatherly affection Mm -hmm. to, to keep her. You got it at the tourney too, when she gave her favor, right? He looked at her when she did it and you could sense he's like glowering at her and she's like a little nervous about it, but also she can't really say no. And so she's kind of, she's kind of won that one, right? She has to do it and and whatever, but you can tell he's trying to like inflict upon her what he wants. Mm -hmm. And so while he's right about Damon, he's creepy and manipulative and so using, are you using Otto. his daughter in not a good way. So are you. Yeah. Um, then we get Damon at the pleasure house again. He's rented the venue out for he and his friends. Yeah. Uh, this is the aforementioned when we get our look at Harwin Strong. Um, apparently that's him who yells silence so that Damon can give his speech. I thought it was pretty brilliantly done that we don't actually see Damon say Mm. the air for a day line. Yeah. But he doesn't deny it later. It's given all the targ stands online ammunition for saying, you'd never say it. Otto just made it up. Mm -hmm. No. I know that in Fire and Blood he did say it, so I believe he said it. <laughs> and like, it's exactly the kind of bullshit thing Damon would say. For sure, so I don't, it doesn't seem like something we should be denying. But which is sad because it's throwing him back in our faces that real palpable sorrow that I just talked about that he demonstrated before. And it's like, well, is he just doing that because he's in front of his boys now? Performative, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, you do things when you're grieving. Sometimes you do things when you're drunk, sometimes that you're not proud of that. Even when you're doing them, you're like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. You can, you can say, you could say that maybe it was a moment like that for Damon, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't show any remorse for it later. So like, usually when you're doing those things and you know, they're wrong, you show remorse for it, right? You have guilt. He doesn't seem to have that. So it's almost, okay. sorry, go ahead. Well, just so, so it, 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 it kind of moves me beyond the, this was just a drunken mistake and he wishes he hadn't done sure. it because he doesn't seem to have any remorse. On the other hand, to your point, uh, we've seen earlier that he has King Viserys under his thumb and he yes. knows that he has King Viserys under his thumb. So it could be one of those things of, I don't cower to you. I don't apologize to you. That's like his big thing is I've got the King of the realm under my thumb. Yes. You know, I may not be the heir anymore. I may just be the leader of the gold cloaks, but yeah. I've the King answers to me. I've got immunity in all things with the King. And I'm not going to say sorry to him because I don't yeah. have to. That's not what, that's not something I do. Mm-hmm. The, this, this relationship isn't that it's, it's one directional. I don't do that. Correct. Yeah. I'm above him. Yeah. Uh, you know, Viserys is livid, of course, but you know, Damon does have a point. He sees that Viserys is weak mm-hmm. in the throne room. He's like, you're weak. You're going to get run over. I would, I, I may be a monster, but I would at least protect you and protect our family. Listen, he's not wrong about that, maybe. 
but the way he's going to do it is, is going to end up being worse than the alternative. Right. Uh, in Fire and Blood, I won't say too much here because it could get into Dragons After Dark territory, but Damon left of his own accord when the new succession was announced. Mm. When it was announced that Rhaenyra would take over, he was so mad uh, and he went to Dragonstone. The rest could get spoilery, so I won't say that, but that's a, another minor difference. Yeah, interesting. Instead of being like sent there, he just went. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, next we get well, really the last scene. Um, it's kind of a splicing of several different scenes, but it's Rhaenyra becoming the heir, right? And we have this great shot of Balerion's big honking skull floating above these candles. So cool. Um, and we get, you know, we get Viserys running his hand over the flames and Everybody's going to be back out with the Targaryens can't burn thing again. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for putting that back in. I have to deal with that shit again. <laughs> when you look at the dragons, what do you see? I see us. Without them, we're just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yep. The idea that we control the dragons is an illusion. I love that. Yeah. It shows this understanding that Viserys has that you haven't seen throughout the the episode and that you don't get in Fire and Blood, frankly. No. Um, no, you don't get in Fire and Blood. Um, it's it's a little bit... I mind it less, I guess, because I, I like this one. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of informative on the main series, right? It kind of implies, I think at least, you can interpret it a few different ways maybe, but the idea that we control the dragons is an illusion. I think that means anybody can ride them. Yeah, doesn't matter point. your blood, doesn't matter magic, nothing like that. You guys mm-hmm. ride dragons because you happen to have the eggs. And, and it reminded me even of Danny's scene of leaving Dasnik's pit and mm. to where Drogon is kind of running the show for her, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's in charge. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he, so in this scene, he indicates that, that the dragons brought doom to Valyria. And could right. us too if we. I know, thought that was a fascinating line. Yeah, we can't control them, and if we don't remember our history, they'll they'll destroy us too. Theories abound about what happened to Valeria, but yes. in Viserys's mind, at yeah. least, it was the dragons that did it. it was the and I'd like to learn more about that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that will come up in later episodes. Yes. Yeah. So now we get interspliced with that. Um, you know, it's clear that he's making Rainier the heir, so we get a sweet scene with Alicent getting her ready for her ceremony. The two of them, you know, clearly very close. You know, I mm-hmm. said maybe Alicent's being used to get close to Rhaenyra. That may be, but they're seems close genuine. anyway. Yeah, it mm-hmm. seems genuine. No, there's no there's no hint that she's treacherous or, you know, using being used or anything like that. Right. Oh, one quick thing before we get to the, you know, the big conversation that we're going to be yes. having about this scene. Uh, I I had forgotten this if I ever if I ever internalized it in the first place that Viserys was the last Targaryen to ride Balerion. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Viserys rode Balerion and then didn't didn't pick another dragon, which is interesting because he's a terrible fit for Balerion. It doesn't seem I, like right. Like it, it in Fire and Blood, it mentions that Balerion at that point was slow and weak and old, mm-hmm. and that it, it didn't take. 
it didn't take a, a, you know, a warrior of strong heart to really tame him or anything. It was kind of like, okay, okay. I'm going to take the kid around the yard. Fine. When can I sleep again? You know, like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah. So the series reveals to Rayanese that Aegon had had a dream slash vision of what we know of the others in the north who would come in a great long winter and destroy all of humanity. Um, this is something that has not been mentioned in the books. And, uh, but apparently it is passed down from Targaryen King to Targaryen King for them to prepare for, uh, by Aegon's interpretation, the Targaryens have to be in rule in order to stop this threat. They are the ones who will stop the others. Dun, 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 dun. Great big reveal. Yeah. Huge reveal. And the language throughout is very interesting. He mm. doesn't mention others or White Walkers or anything like that. He, he just says a it's threat. a threat. Terrible yeah. winter gusting out mm -hmm. of the distance in the north. Right. Darkness on those wings. But he doesn't know really what it is. It's, it's interesting. You wonder whether Aegon knew more and it's kind of been lost in the history or whether um, whether he didn't, it was always vague. Um, but it does, we don't have a lot of detail here. All of Westeros must stand against it. A Targaryen must unite them against the cold and the dark. I don't know why it has to be a Targaryen. Right. But they believe that that's true, um, which, is, which is interesting. Um, you know, I think we'll cover more of this on in Dogs After or Dragons After Dark, maybe. But right. uh, I don't know. I felt I felt it was a little. It was a huge moment, but also he called this dream the Song of Ice and Fire. I was a little let down. A little on the nose. Well, there's just been so much speculation about what that really means, you know, in the fandom and the dream. Have you ever named a dream, Matt? I've never dreamed named one of my dreams. That he named his dream the Song of Ice. Eh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It let uh, me down. It very let me down visceral a dream. It was a very it was. visceral dream. More in Dragons After Dark, probably. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this this um, this reveal not only connects House of the Dragon to the main series to Games of Th Game of Thrones. Um, I think of it like what Peter Jackson did with The Hobbit, mm. connecting it to Lord of the Rings by bringing that stuff into the Hobbit films about the necromancer and Galadriel and Elrond and Saur mm. Sauron coming back and everything. He kind of retconned it into the, into the Hobbit films to kind of mm -hmm. connect to them yeah. uh, to Lord of the Rings. That's what we're doing here. And to add a little more gravitas to the situation. I mean, other than that, I called it on Twitter. It's keeping up with the Targaryens. It could be thought of a soap opera about this family yes. but now you're throwing in this looming threat to the realm that they need to prepare for which makes it a little more interesting probably to the to the viewer all sorts of questions that, that come from it though right yeah totally makes it more interesting to the viewer it's super risky because it, as far as i can tell viserys was operating without a net for over a decade mm -hmm. not telling anyone like what if he had just died Right? Yep. Because I assume he didn't, maybe he did tell Damon, I don't know. But that's the danger. The heir for a while. <laughs> for all the um, kings is what if you die too soon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they've had throughout the history, they've had some that died pretty quick. Yeah. Right. 
Um, so yeah, you know, when you choose to tell and who you tell, he didn't tell Damon, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. But also just, you know, why, why don't they do, <laughs> maybe more for Davos After Dark, but why aren't they behaving differently if they really believe this? Yeah. Why, why, in, why in A Song of Ice and Fire has the Night's Watch fallen to, what is it, 900 men, 800 men, something? Uh, like, why, why, is, why is it the state that it's in? You know, we, they must have lost it. Right. And yep. there's all sorts of theories we'll get to about that. I agree. Um, just one final thing for me is uh, why, what do you think did it for Viserys being okay with naming Rhaenyra his heir? Uh, do you think it was, well, I'm out of options now. Emma's dead. I think. I think air. I think air for the day was the catalyst, and all the poisoning of the ear from Otto and the others, convincing mm-hmm. him that he was bad, convincing yeah. Viserys that Damon was bad. When when he heard air for a day, it was like last straw. Like let's do choice this. made. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, I agree with all those things. I'll maybe add in a little bit of guilt. Oh yeah, guilt about Emma. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I can see that. Um, the dagger pisses me off a little bit, but we don't need to talk about it. The darn dagger. The darn dagger. It's the C-3PO and R2-D2 of... It <laughs> doesn't even exist in the books. It doesn't even exist. So, like, I don't know how that... Well, there is a Valyrian into. dagger. But... It's plainly made, the cat spot dagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valyrian steel plainly made. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I got for this scene. You got more? Nope. I love that the closeout music was Game of Th- the Game of Thrones scene. Mm-hmm. Good I music. That's that's what I got. Yep. Yep. Well, now then, we're going to move into Dragons After Dark. So, those that don't know, Dragons After Dark is going to be a spoilery section. So, if you have not read Fire and Blood, or you don't want to know what we think is coming, uh, turn it off now and come back next week and, and listen again because we're going to get all up in all up in this episode's business talking about what it revealed and where we're going to head for the next episode coming at you in a couple days wow yes. wow coming soon wow so boom ba-da-dum. dragons after dark there you go <laughs> If uh, the jingle thing doesn't work, we'll use that. Okay. Uh, so do you want to just tar- talk about what we really think is coming in the next episode? Should we just start there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll throw one out, then you can throw one out and sure. get through this. Uh, I think we will start to see uh, at least a courtship between Viserys and Alicent. Start to see them start to grow closer. Yeah. And whether that's anything actual affectionate-wise or... Allison's kind of doing it out of a sense of duty. I'm interested in seeing, but that will continue, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I agree. Uh, I think it's going to be a quick courtship. Um, it's, it's actually very quick in Fire and Blood. They, um, they marry within the year in Fire and Blood, mm-hmm. um, within the year of, of Emma's death. Um, and so I, I think it's going to be a quick courtship. We've got 10 episodes to get through about 30 years, according to George. 
where they're going to, where this series is going to start and stop this first season. Uh, so I don't, I, there's going to be, at some point, there's going to be a jump where they jump from the young actresses to the older actresses. To the older actresses, and to Emma Darcy and stuff. Yeah. Be after like the wedding episodes. And then they're just going to jump like, I don't know, like eight more years or something. And all the kids will be born and stuff. Right. right. That, that exist. And they'll be at their appropriate ages or the ages that they want them to be for this show. I agree with that. All that, all that to say for the next episode, I think that courtship is going to go quick. And I think also moving quick is that Kristen Cole is going to move into the, into the King's card. King's card. I think yeah. perhaps we'll see the, the death of, uh, of the Westerling night. That's who that was. Uh, Harold. Yeah. Harold Westerling. I think maybe we'll see the death of him and Kristen Cole jump in. I don't know exactly right. how it will happen, but uh, I'm, I think that'll happen maybe even in the next episode. There's another knight that's that's following around the king the whole time. Ryan I, Redwine, I think. Do you think that's Ryan? That's what I, I put too. So. He's old. He's supposed. He's to be an old older knight. This time. He he is the the Lord Commander until 105, yeah. um, which is kind of where we're at in this weird timeline. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I can see either him or Harold yeah. Westerling dying and. Kristen stepping in for sure. Yeah, we're at 105 fire and blood time. We're in like, I think we're at like 112. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in House of the Dragon time. Um, um I'm interested in seeing uh this relationship continue between Corliss and Damon. Yeah. As they start to interact. Uh yeah. we are gonna get the stuff with the triarchy and the stepstones. We've seen that in some of the uh trailers. And so you can see that to start to happen pretty quick, I think. I think it has to, because again, that courtship is going to go pretty quickly with Alicent and Viserys, and Damon has to be away for some time before that wedding happens, right? Uh, for him to come back triumphantly and be forgiven by his brother. If that just happens next episode, it'd be weird. It's like I it was just be. angry at you and sent you away, and now one episode later you're back and we're fine. You're back. No, it would feel so. I think the stepstone. I think I think probably the stepstone's conversation will we'll happen start next. with Damon and Corlys in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe the episode after that, we'll start getting, start getting actual steps. Some violence. Yeah. yeah. So what I was referring to in the main part of the episode is Damon left originally when the succession was announced. He left on his own and went to Dragonstone. He took Missario with him, got her pregnant, and gave her a dragon's egg. That's when Viserys actually got real ticked at him, yes. was given the dragon's egg and everything. And then that's when he sent him to Runestone to be with his wife so it looks like they're just cutting all of that out um however we don't see where damon's going to go viserys sent him to runestone but and he did take Missaria with him right he's got Missaria with him so i wonder if he's not going to go to runestone at all if he's just going to go straight to dragonstone and the stuff with mazaria that's where corlos corlos starts meeting with him and all that starts so i think we're going to get more awkward matt smith upper torso yeah, I think I think that's in store for the next episode. I love him. That's not what I needed to see. <laughs> uh, I think I think the next episode will be it's it's a little bit of a setup episode maybe for some things, but I think it might be Allison's episode to shine. A little sure, bit. Yeah. she's going to be meeting you know wooing the king maybe, and also still feeling out this relationship with Rhaenyra. With Rhaenyra. I think it's. It feels real. I think they're two kids trying to figure it out. And um, I think it's it's very real to them. I, I mean, definitely on Rainier's side. I like it. I like it. 
that's one thing that, you know me, I'm very good at allowing the two stories to run in parallel to each other. I do it with yeah. Star Wars. I do it yeah, with yeah. Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in this take on it of Rainier and Allison. It works for me in this parallel timeline. Here's what I don't want to see. So I'm, I'm all for it. I, you know, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all in support. Unless they're using it to generate, just to generate additional conflict. Sure. Because the reality is these two have plenty to fight about without Already. throwing in a personal relationship. Right? right. And there's, they have kids and they have claims and they have all these other things that are meaningful. And, you know, again, I don't care. It's, it's good. I think it's, I think it's a nice dynamic, right. To throw in and it make, it does up, up the stakes a little bit, but if they're doing sure. it again for like shock value, you know, it just feels, I don't know, a little manipulative. Sure. I can say that, but, but I do like the scenes with them and I, I like, seeing these kids work it out right it's it's mm-hmm. an interesting change yep yeah work it out i like that yep yeah. um so the, that's what we think is going to happen in the next episode yeah that's about all i got look for that take it look to the bank that. listeners take it to the bank take it to the bank take it to the bank um i guess as far as other spoilery type things mm-hmm. uh I think we already touched on Damon and Corliss. This kind of sets up their relationship in this first episode. I didn't want to say anything in the main part of the cast, but this is kind of as a pretense to, you know, what they're going to do in the Stepstones later. Um, but I guess the big stuff is just if you want to talk more about the Song of Ice and Fire prophecy. Yeah, I don't um, I don't have to say really. I mean, we, we talked... I actually went back and listened to our Team, team John episode or mm-hmm. about half of it uh, earlier this week um, because I couldn't remember where we talked about what we call the egg on nose theory. That um, It was there, right? I, we did talk about it there. We didn't, okay. I don't, I, I, again, I didn't finish all of the episode. I didn't get through it, but um, we talk about the themes for sure. I don't know if at the end of the episode we wrap around and talk about that, that theory specifically because I didn't finish it, but we talk very much about it and, I, I say, I, when I talk about this on Twitter and stuff, I say we came up with it, but that's, I don't know that that's really even true. I mean, in, in this episode, we talk, the, the, the Team John episode, we talk about the fact that Joe Magician has this great, this great essay up. It's called uh, Aim, on, uh, Aim on the Dreamer. If you just Google Joe Magician, Aim on the Dreamer, you'll probably find it. And he outlines a lot of what Amon's, Maester Amon, Maester Amon here, what his goal in life was and what his path was in his journey of you know figuring all of this stuff out and he kind of i think implies that that's what he helped set Rhaegar on his path to finding it and he outlines a lot of things in that article it's great you should go read it but we also you know we kind of theorized even beyond that too that um i mean we had i hadn't read his thing when we were coming up with these ideas but um you know that Amon was very close to, to Darren the Drunken, right? And that Darren mm-hmm. the Drunken probably had these prophecies. And if if this, if the Song of Ice and Fire dream is lost during the Dance of Dragons, maybe Darren the Dreamer is, he's the savior, right? Like he brought it all back. He come brought it back. And then you've got back. the connection with Amon and Blood Raven, with yes. Blood Raven eventually going to the wall. Yes. I mean, we had we had inklings of these little theories, these little niblets of the theories mm-hmm. that we brought together since 2014, Scad. 
That's crazy, man. A yeah. long time. Yeah. And it's kind of validating to see some of this stuff coming through and we're like, it's slight connections to it, tenuous at best at some yes. parts, but we never, I don't think he ever, ever fleshed out the egg on nose theory anywhere, like in essay form or anything, which is too bad. Cause it would have made us look really smart. It would have made us look really <laughs> cool, but, <laughs> but, but we, we did link it to egg on first egg on one too. We said yeah. maybe that was the impetus that he had a Came dream also. Like Western, yeah. That that's why he burst out of his room after seven days and decided to just go do it. Yeah. Right. Is that he got confirmation with this, with a dream like this. So listeners, uh, if you'd like to go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Davos fingers, join us there and look up uh, team John. If you just search for that in the search bar, it'll yeah, come up. Yeah, yep. you'll find it. Yeah. And that of course is our theory. It's called team John because it's the idea that there was a group of people who knew about John's potential or his destiny and we're actively working to put him in the right situation to achieve that destiny, which is to become at least a half of the Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, and as minor and spoiler, it spirals episode, into stuff. Yeah, it spirals into stuff because what we come to terms with as we're talking about it is, well, Amon, the Targaryen side of all these people that we're talking about, they don't really have a connection to Ned or others that may have tried to make a Team John, but they had information through other sources that, that Ned didn't have, and they've kind of come to this area of support in a different way right right yep yeah um yeah so fun. do you do you think do you think they so i, I figure Aegon one had the the, the, the dream itself mm -hmm. do you think he told his sisters i don't know as heirs i wonder i don't know if he did they shared everything right like it yeah. feels like he would have feels like maybe he would have but anyway at least yeah. he, probably, he would have passed it to his own son Aenys. um Aenys would have passed it to Aegon the uncrowned he never never took the throne right but he would have told him i think um Aegon the uncrowned maybe told rayana before he took to the skies like hey <laughs> you know this is this is a thing you i just gotta tell somebody i might and... die because I'm going up there to fight a really big dragon, so you better take this information. Then she, of course, lived a long time. She could have told J.A. Harris um, and then J.A. Harris to Viserys. And, yeah. And who line. knows if Magor knew? Well, right. So if Visenya knew, yeah. then she might have told Magor. She might have been the one to tell Magor. Yeah. I'm not sure Magor had the mental capacity to process any of that, nor care. Right. That's true. Or yeah. care. Yeah. That might've been the thing. Maybe he was told out of duty. Hey, we tell people this, we tell new Kings this, but uh, yeah, as far as doing something about it, but it also seems like none of them really did too much about it. Yeah. Um, well, the Targaryens did make sure to stock the night's watch uh, to varying yeah. degrees, to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, Jaharis and Alessandre took a vested interest in it. Yep. Um, I wonder if if uh, maybe a lot of that was lost by Baylor the Blessed mm. with his book burning and everything. and Book burning and kind of crazy. And If he decided it wasn't for him. He believed in the faith and what, what, have, what do I need all these other prophecies for? The faith is all that matters, right? Right. Yeah, maybe. And then, on, you know, from just a practical sense, this is an oral tradition. Yeah. That's just a big game of telephone over centuries. Like, yeah. and to start off with, it wasn't like 
Aegon received actual instructions from a credible source. It was a dream he had (laughs) to which he had his own interpretation of the dream. And then he passed along, not facts, he passed along his interpretation of a dream that he had. Yeah. Imagine 300 years, imagine hearing a story about an ancestor of yours 300 years ago who you didn't know, right? And that he had a dream and that for the past 300 years, your family has been following that dream. Mm-hmm. and there's no details, like, you'd think it's nuts. Right. You'd be like, all right, cool. I'm going to go live my life and become an accountant. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I, what do you want me to do with this? Eventually, you're going to be looking at your watch going, oh, it still hasn't happened? Well, yes. Then right. I'm probably going to, odds are, things are going to be okay. So some interesting stuff came up. Uh, this is the last thing I'll say about this. We can be, we can be done with it if you want, but Sure. Some interesting ideas came up on Twitter when we were talking through some things this week. And, you know, the, the, the theory, the, the dream is called the Song of Ice and Fire, right? And dragons clearly are fire, the Targaryens are fire. But the ice half is a little weird, right? Mm-hmm. Unless it's just they're talking about the cold wind to be met by the fire, which is possible. Right. But I wondered, I wondered if maybe the... Starks and, and, and B-Word, a friend of ours, kind of helped me work through some of this as mm-hmm. we were chatting back and forth uh, on Twitter. But Yeah, it was great. I wondered if maybe the Starks are also getting portions of this, um, you know, that, uh, and, and actually came from uh, another guy, uh, oh no, I've forgotten his Twitter handle now, who asked about there must always be a Stark in Winterfell, which kind of started this whole conversation. And... I wondered if maybe they're getting dreams or, or messages somehow from their weirwood connections or through, through their, their warging capabilities. Yeah, the weirwood uh, stuff is fascinating. And if they know that it's important for that family to stay in Winterfell, to be there, to combat the others also, that it's not just a Targaryen dream, there's also the other half, a Stark dream or a Stark message, right, that, that they have. And maybe that that for Torrin Stark specifically, when Aegon made him kneel um, in the Riverlands, that he told him that he's like, hey, it's important that I'm in charge here and this is why. And Torrin was like, oh, that makes sense. I have a similar family belief structure <laughs> based on our own dreams that we get that we got from Weirwoods forever ago. So, okay, I'm down. I'll go back up north. You do your thing. Seems it's very tinfoily, no evidence, but uh, it was it was a fun exercise. It makes a lot of sense, really. Um, I was trying to find that tweet so we could give credit where due to. Yes, the fella that brought it up. Oh, at Joe Grinding Teeth. Oh, Joe Grinding Teeth. Yeah. Yes. Yes. His handle, I don't know if it was misspelled. It's oh. Joe Griding. Griding. Okay. Teeth. Yeah. Okay. Then the name is Joe's Grinding Teeth. So. Okay. At Joe Griding Teeth. So if you're out looking for him. If you're out looking for him. Yep. So thanks to him and, and B Word for great walking, discussion. Walking through it. It was fun. Yeah. Great discussion while I was gallivanting around <laughs> talking about other fun things. But. Dude, that that was fun though. The pool you buy me pads. That was hilarious. <laughs> The Star Wars thing? Yes. Just go to our Twitter page, guys. Well, um, go forth and watch the next episode, Kalisar. Yeah. And uh, tell us what you think. 
Tell us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make fun of us for the things we get wrong. Mm-hmm. He preys upon us for the things we get right. Yes. Of which there will be many, much. And, and enjoy the series. And have fun. Yeah, have fun with this thing. You want to give a quick sign off or was that your sign off? Uh, I'll just sign off saying Steve Toussaint, if that's how you pronounce his name, oh. is the best Corliss Valerian that ever was. He was very good. He was very good. Uh, I'll sign off just saying uh, Book Faithful. Just, and I'm talking to myself here as much as I'm advising anyone else. You really are. And that's this okay. is going to get messy. Like, our faith is going to be challenged with how the canon is affected by this show. And just just try to keep an even keel because this shit is going to get messy. Just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy the ride. You can do it. We Bye, believe everybody. in you. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.